Hello and welcome to The Back Page, a video games podcast. I'm your host Samuel Roberts and I'm joined by Matthew Castle. Hello. How are you doing today, Matthew? I am very good. I've just uh, emerged from a 30-hour session with Immortals where I've been chopping up Greek mythological monsters. Oh. So this is a very pleasant break from that. How but, are you doing, Sam? Yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too bad. It's, uh, I'm in the throes of uh, Black Friday, which will date this podcast horribly if someone discovers the episode, like, say, six months down the line. <laughs> so I'll avoid any more, avoid any more topical references. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm playing Doom Eternal at the moment. I feel that's a fairly timeless thing to be playing, um, whereas Immortals... <laughs> seems like something that people might forget in a few months but yeah uh, i yeah i think so ironically given the name uh, well actually they're both eternals and mortals it's all a bit similar i saw your tweet last night saying that you shouldn't be playing doom eternal past 11 p.m with oh, your old man eyes yeah I, I feel like you can't quite keep up with the action i feel like i'm about 80 percent at the right speed for it after 11 o'clock and i can barely manage it during like waking hours so uh yeah, that's my experience with uh, with that uh, phenomenal first-person shooter with lots of good secrets. little mini-review for you there. And um, speaking of reviews, Matthew... Ooh, nicely um, done. Yeah, I kind of. Um, <laughs> this is uh, one of the... When we started this podcast, like me and Matthew, we have a background in print uh, media, working in games... Um, this isn't to say that we're, we think that we're like the golden generation or something when it comes to like criticism, but we did work in games media for a long time and feel like there's a contingent of people who follow us on Twitter, I guess, who are kind of like, uh, we're, we're into that stuff. So mm. we thought that talking about some of those experiences in podcasts might be good while also kind of connecting it to um, more modern day stuff. Uh, made no effort to do that this week because this week it's all about um, game reviews, the process of reviewing games and uh, scores we got wrong, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a juicy subject. And uh, not just wrong in like the uh, sort of we overscored a game, but also underscored a game. And yeah, lots of um, variations. So um, what's going to happen is we're going to talk a bit about reviewing games um, and what that's like. And uh, then we're going to go into uh, each of us are going to talk about games that we reviewed that we felt like we got wrong. And we'll kind of alternate. And uh, <laughs> There's a lot of soul searching with this one. Yeah, and and like we go we go quite far back in time as well. So like hopefully you know about games from a decade ago. Um, if not, a lot of that might be quite obscure. But I think we talk about some pretty mainstream stuff. So yeah, uh, yeah it'll be good. Um, so yeah, Matthew, talk to me about reviewing games. And um, uh, when you first started on um, working on Endgamer, what was what was it like to review a game for the first time to you? Uh, kind of nightmarish. Um, to be honest, because of the very specific case, uh, the first game I ever reviewed was Red Steel on the Wii. Mm. Um, the notorious Red Steel, which was uh, just a perfect storm of nightmarish factors in that it was, I'm pretty sure, the first ever Wii review anywhere in the world. The first one printed. Wow. Um, it was my first review for a, a magazine, the first review, for, you know, in this new job that I'd only had for about a month. And it was my first trip away uh, with the magazine. I went over to Paris to play it. So there was a lot of unknown elements. And it was a new console that we didn't really know how it was going to behave. Um, which, as you can probably imagine, like any one of those things is kind of horrible and mm. a bit of an obstacle to get over. Um, weirdly, like now in hindsight, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but the the thing I hate the most is having to review from an event. Yeah. Um, mainly because 
I'm not. I mean, talk a bit about like our, our individual review processes, but I'm not very good at like making notes, and you know, I, I tend to sort of um, sort of submerge myself in something and kind of write alongside it, yeah. um, which you don't do in an event. You have like two days to basically mine it for every opinion you're ever going to have, or you're ever going to have in a magazine, and then move on. Um, and that was like my first ever taste of that. So, so this was um, take us back. This is like late two thousand six, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, um, yeah, this would have been. I think I played it early November. Um, it was right at dead. It was right on deadline. Um, I remember it was really, really tight. I had to write it over the weekend. I went out there for two days to Paris, Ubisoft Paris Studios, um, which is um, quite far from the like the massive kind of when you see pictures of these big glamorous sort of you know they're they're huge sort of canadian studios they have this is quite far from that it's it's a lot smaller um i had no idea what i was doing really (laughs) um and you know sitting in a room i mean you've probably done a lot more of these sort of review visits than i have i Mm. think over the years because we didn't really do a lot of them with, with with nintendo games but well, just having to sit in a room by yourself with the people who made the game, like looking through windows and stuff, is that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I did a few review events. They feel like they've gone away a little bit. Although I think you still try, people publishers still try and do them for multiplayer shooters. Yeah. Um. Obviously, in a pandemic, you can't do it the same way. And um, that's I think that's actually been quite good for getting review code early this year. Like I've noticed outlets have had review code a lot earlier than they might normally have. Yeah. Um, which yeah. is seems better to me than doing review events. Yeah. Um, but it's also like um, the specific uh, circumstances of a, a review event. I, I found they always made me hate the game more because right. I thought, well, I can't just go and have a drink of water anywhere and wander around. I'm like, I'm all I can do is like take a small break and then go back to this computer in this dark room and stare at the screen. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, it's 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 weird though because I think sometimes I think what they're probably hoping for is that there's some weird alchemy in the room and everyone gets like high on the game yeah. and then their excitement fuels each other and that's where you get these massive obscene scores from. Hmm. You know, because often they're over a couple of days and you have evenings together with other journos. Like, I tend to be, you know, left to my own devices, quite kind of uh, keep myself to myself. I don't really talk with other people when I'm reviewing games in my own time or at home or in the office. But at those events, you just find that there's a bit more kind of stuff moving between everyone and they you know on on the multiplayer thing that you mentioned i actually find it sometimes does help as well because the best a journalist is ever going to be at any shooting game <laughs> is playing against other shit journalists hey. so everyone comes out thinking well actually this is the battlefield that makes me okay at battlefield and it's like no it's just that the general public who are good uh, haven't come in yet to kick your ass. Hey, I'll have you know, I I am moderately good at Apex Legends uh, <laughs> yeah. until I get sold into a bracket with players I can't beat, and then I have to stop playing it after I've had a tantrum. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the review the reviewing thing is weird as well because I don't know about you, but no one really taught me how to review games. Um, yeah, there was a review template when I joined Play Magazine. Here's a big difference between you and me, right? Like you're on Endgamer, um, part of the N64 magazine um, Super Play NGC as well, NGC yeah. Legacy, right? Um, I was on Play Magazine, uh, PlayStation Magazine, that was independent, um, quite irreverent, a um, bit laddish, I suppose. Um, and I don't think it was like loved in the same way that 
uh, your magazines were. Like your magazines are still, I see people like collecting your old magazines and talking about them on Twitter and stuff. Mm. Whereas Play, I don't think the world noticed that Play vanished, even though Play <laughs> sold more copies than um, than Endgamer did yeah. um, by quite a long way. Which I think is quite interesting, actually. But it speaks to, I think that speaks to Nintendo audiences versus PlayStation audiences, yeah. first of all. But also, I think that like. I don't know. I just think there was um, slightly better editorial um, going on in Endgamer at the time. Like, I think on play, the thing I remember we had, we had a review template, and in it, um, it just said, avoid cliches like uh, war, what is it good for when you're talking about a first person shooter with war? In it. And um, that was kind of, I don't remember anyone else telling me, like, oh, this is how you review a game or whatever. Maybe it was different for you, I don't know. Uh, no, not really. I mean, like, I guess we had all those years of the magazine that you if you'd read them you kind of just had a feel for what the mag wanted mm. in t- definitely terms of voice you know it was it was quite personal quite silly weirdly like we always wrote in the plural though so even though it was quite personal you'd put all this weird personal stuff in but it was always like we that always threw me you know mm. there's reviews that refer to like our uncle yeah, we- as if we've all got the same uncle and he did something which is preposterous <laughs> um, but lends it lends it its own charm i still feel much more comfortable not writing with i um, oh, so we did that too and it made no sense and yeah. um I, I, yeah being on pc gamer was the first time i could actually write in first person and do you so, like it yeah i do because I, now now i understand how to do it i didn't for a few years when i was on pc gamer i was i felt like i was writing blog entries um in the magazine yeah but then i i kind of got used to when and when you don't say i and um relate a, a specific experience that you're having um yeah, but it's uh, it's definitely like a weird one, a weird old quirk of magazines for sure. Yeah, but I I I, rem- cause I remember I like I don't think my early stuff, my early years, um, is particularly great. Like when I go back at it, I think it, it it was in the right spirit of the thing, and people seemed to stomach it. But it was a li- it was a little bit try hard. But I remember I, when I wrote the um, Red Steel review, I remember Greener. It was probably like it was my first review, so this kind of makes sense. But it's probably my most edited piece of work in terms of like the amount of feedback I got. That was basically like they used that one review to kind of hammer me with lots of stuff. Mm. Uh, and I think the problem, uh, not a problem I used to have, but like I, I maybe back then lent more naturally towards like an edge like style. That was always the note I used to get from Greener, who is Mark Green, who is the editor, sort of legendary Nintendo magazine figure. Hmm. Um and uh yeah, he'd always be like, Oh, this is this is getting a bit edgy, you know, it's not edgy as in Edge magazine, <laughs> not not as in, you know Well you're well known for your edgy uh, personality. <laughs> yeah, you, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so, uh, you know, not there's anything wrong with Edge Magazine, but it was a very different tone. And, and um, the, the thing they always came back to was like, oh, imagine you're telling your friend in the pub why this thing is good. And that was basically the guide. I mean, that one line is the guide. And if people ask me, that's probably the thing I recycle now and tell them is also it's like you're trying to entertain your friend in the pub while telling them about this thing, tell them what they think, you know, you know what they like, you know what a general Nintendo fan likes, kind of give them that, and, and I've kind of stuck with that ever since. Yeah, um, do you think your like review style or review voice has changed massively over the years? Yeah, I think I'm now really confident in calling the shots on games, um, where I've played so many hours of them, I just know exactly what I'm doing. So the last game I did a big review on before I left PC Gamer in 2019 was The Division 2, 
Um, right. And I played like 50 hours of it. Um, and I felt really comfortable making calls about what was good and what was bad um, without feeling like I needed to kind of uh, create a sort of structure for the review or right. make sure I'm ticking off specific things like talk about the graphics or whatever, which I think is <laughs> a bit more, you're a bit more like partitioning off sections like that when you're first start, when i was first starting out that's how i found it i was like oh well i better make sure i talk about the soundtrack and i better make sure i talk <laughs> yeah. about how long it is and the graphics because that's very much like an old kind of 90s mag style of doing things yeah you still get that a bit but now i feel like i can talk about it talk about games in a slightly more experiential way um uh, not kind of like that kind of new games journalism like you're reading a diary feature thing but just find it easy to make you know to critique a game and then connect it back to a specific experience i had playing it you know um that's how i feel like my style's changed how about you yeah i i think likewise and there's definitely a confidence over you know i've been doing this for about 14 years now and and you know i i'm i'm quite sure of my opinions when i'm playing a game like i I can form i can the review forms quite naturally in my head as i'm as i'm playing things Mm. um which helps uh yeah, I, I know. I think the big thing I shook was just uh, there was a lot of try-hard stuff early on. You know, it, I was trying to be like hilarious and zany, and Endgamer was a funny mag, but it wasn't a cynical mag. You know, and I think a lot of the funny games writing when people think of funny games writing, they maybe think of like PC Zone, the kind of Charlie Brooker type stuff. Yeah, um, I'm not very good at that. Like, I'm I'm not a caustic funny writer same uh, um i you know i am i'm quite bad at bootings um but i think it can so i've sort of settled more comfortably into just being trying to be kind of good humored about something yeah. i wrote a review of um hotel dusk um the ds sort of twin peaksy uh motel set adventure and uh i wrote it as a like a detective novel and it is probably the worst thing you will ever read and i I can't i just can't even look at it i can top that um (laughs) it wasn't in a review right but i um when i wrote a cover feature on gta 4 i wrote a diary from the perspective of nico bellic (laughs) (laughs) the main character of the game as a box out and like it was the most it's like i mean it's a piece of fan fiction but like (laughs) i think my editor at the time suggested it but i read it back and it was so embarrassing (laughs) Um, I mean, people are a bit harsh on Rockstar's writing, but like, I mean, you can definitely tell the difference between my copy and theirs. I would say. <laughs> Today I killed my brother. Uh, I think it's just kind of like he was. He was kind of like Travis Bickle, kind of like chuntering to himself about how the American dream betrayed him and stuff. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, my yeah, my hotel dusting didn't seem that bad. I, the thing that makes me laugh was that our production editor, which people who don't know magazines. Uh, that's the person like all your copy goes through and they basically get it on the page and they fix it and they they basically make you into the good writer that you seem on the page um it they must have thought it was just total dog shit that review but they just humored me and everyone was nice and 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 polite but it was just i don't know i i was a real fanboy for n64 and ngc and they didn't do anything like that so i don't really know where it came from but i was just desperate to leave my mark because i felt like there were writers who did and there were writers who didn't yeah and the legacy of the mag like really tripped me up many many times like i I became really hung up on it in a way that i just don't think anyone else was yeah it took me a while um it wasn't until see i never really had the legacy problem because i don't think i worked on any magazine that was truly loved 
until arguably Sci-Fi Now um, that had quite a, a nice little audience mm. um, in 2010. I worked on that, but then also Games TM, which Games TM definitely had a, an audience yeah, that, sure. that appreciated it. Um, so I didn't feel the kind of weight of it so much on play because I knew. I mean, I actually thought the writing and play was really good um, at the time, but like, um, I think that it wasn't. It wasn't something I couldn't do. It felt like I was. I was like 18 when I started working there, and I just felt, oh yeah, writing about PS2 games, being irreverent. That is like my dream job right now at mm. 18. Um, so it was fine. Um, but what I lacked was someone to come in and say your sentences are too fucking long and you know you should stop using semicolons and all that stuff um that didn't really happen to us on pc gamer many years later i had like a few good mentors when i was um working on those earlier mags but not for that specific right. meat and potato stuff um and i think that uh that's definitely like a kind of future difference is futures pro- uh, production editors are just very like we're here to teach you the craft as well as like fixing your shit you know <laughs> yeah yeah, I had some great ones. Uh, Chrissy Williams was the first prodded on Endgamer for about a year and a bit, and then afterwards it was uh, Charlotte Martin who went on to edit Endgamer um, towards the end. And um, yeah, Charlotte, Charlotte both, and both of them were were absolutely brilliant. Charlotte was like super into the mag as it was as well, and like by that point, I think my like you know my writing was was so sort of prevalent in the magazine or whatever that it it, it sort of felt a little bit like almost was sort of in-house style Mm. um yeah the weird thing was always writing for other mags like writing for edge or writing for games master games master is quite close to endgamer actually um i often think as a side note games master slightly slightly maligned uh in an unfair way um because actually the writing in that was really funny and sparky and it was a lot about games but i think people had this perception of it being this like kiddie-ish thing or the connection with the tv show i don't know but I actually hold it in quite high regard. Same. I, I, I read it a lot when I was when I was about 13, 14. I read Games Master pretty much every month um, and thought the writing was really strong because it was the same writers from the other future mags. So. Well, that's, 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 what, yeah, that's what I didn't realise because I used to read it and I had to meet the team page and there were about 25 people on it. And in my head, that was a magazine written by 25 people as a huge team. I was like, man, they must have so much fun writing that mag. Or to, and it didn't even occur to me that half the people were permanent staff on other mags I also read. Yeah. And it just didn't even compute that oh wait a second this might not be true um <laughs> so yeah my other so the other thing i wanted to ask about on their uh, reviews was um uh scoring games so uh obviously the kind of process is one thing but the actual score scores have become weirdly contentious in recent years and i think that's just because people on the internet take things way too seriously yeah um but i think that i i really like scores as a kind of like um a kind of metric but also it's a it's a it's an entertaining factor of a review. Um, how did you find the process of assigning a score to a game? Yeah, I, I'm, I think I'm like you. I, I, I do like scores. I, I like the sense of context they create at the end, even though so many games aren't like for like and can't really be compared. I like the idea that you are c- compiling this huge scale and it becomes about like slotting games into that, mm. um, which is where, I mean, that is actually where a lot of my scoring comes from. I felt like, oh, it was kind of like that but better or it wasn't as quite as good as that and yeah, so the, the score would reflect that like i re- i really was reacting i wasn't just pulling them out of my ass which i think some people do do um <laughs> and it only really works if everyone's on board and kind of respects the kind of sanctity of of everyone else's scores yeah um because we often have i mean we never argued about scores on endgamer because 
you know, we're fundamentally mates and there were bigger things to argue about constantly. Uh, but there was, uh, there were definitely times I felt like, oh man, you really like overscored or underscored that and it's put everything out of whack or, you know, this thing is definitely not as good as this thing I've played, but you've scored it higher and do I have to now have to go higher to like match that? There, there was a bit of weird sort of, uh, sort of back and forth in, in that sense, but fundamentally I, I i like them i like a big i like a hundred percent score as well um rather than out of 10 i like the the nuance of what's the difference between a 73 and a 74 yeah i think um, it definitely varies per outlet obviously like an edge 10 out of 10 means a lot yeah. um in the, the context of that magazine but like i loved seeing on pc gamer that you know uh half-life uh the original half-life got like 96 yeah. percent um but the like deus ex i think got 94 or 95 um, yeah and I just I, I like that difference. Um, it's just it, it was yeah, like you say. I mean, I was I always thought about that when I uh, reviewed GTA Four. I was scoring it in the context of a magazine that had given San Andreas ninety eight percent and uh, Suffice City ninety six percent. So in my head, I'm like, well, where does it slot in that kind of like bracket? Um, and you know, it's uh, it's it can be quite a, a complicated process. Um, but yeah, uh, so um, Matthew, we're going to we're going to move on to talking about the game review scores we got wrong. <laughs> um, and so I think, like... There are are any... they all wrong, wrong? Or are some of them questionable? <laughs> yeah, I think that there are... There is... I could... When I looked at mine again, I thought there are no outright howlers there. There are just, like, a few where I, I kind of got it wrong by a few degrees, or the process threw me off, or something just went a bit amiss or i just didn't quite get a game which happened a few <laughs> times um yours i think are much more interesting um obviously like you've already kind of mentioned red steel so i won't won't go into that too much but i think process is a big part of it like um a lot of mine are from earlier in my career because i didn't really understand what i was doing for about, <laughs> about it's like this idea of the sort of some idiot with a head full of numbers just throwing <laughs> them at a game and hoping for the best i don't know what i'm doing with these words and numbers well, i think i was just a terrible writer but people were very nice to me imagine and told me i was good and i think that kind of filled me with a bit of natural confidence but it took until about 2009 for me to to for the promise to kind of uh shine through a little bit hmm. but um yeah whereas i've seen some of your earlier reviews and i i think they're very good but i mean like you say it could be just a mix of like having such great prods and etc et yeah, oh yeah definitely yeah they got rid of all the, all the crap um so yeah i guess i'll start with one of mine then uh, matthew unless there's anything else you wanted to add about the review process no 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 i'm sure we can we can fold anything else in <laughs> yeah um cool all right so my first one was uh 2007's the darkness on ps3 uh which i gave 91 percent um so i don't know if you remember this game it's from it was from starbreeze back when starbreeze was mainly composed of the machine games people who now make the wolfenstein games um and um, I, it was my first big review. It came out in 2007, um, and I had to go to 2K's offices to review it, uh, which itself was quite intense. I remember feeling like, oh, this is very intense. I'm like, you know, I was like, just turned 19. And I thought, oh, this is very intense doing this. I'm away, <laughs> away from home reviewing a computer game. And I think I kind of overscored it just on that basis, really, where I just, I thought, okay, this feels like a big deal. And it, uh, first of all, it is a good, it is a good game for sure. It's like a kind of weird third person first person shooter sort of like gangster game hybrid mm. with some like world war one elements in them like it, <laughs> it's based on like basically a shitty comic book from the 90s um for, it's one of the original image comics um which were obviously huge selling but mostly like built around the art first and people have come around on some of them but i i maintain that like not 
amazing comics and so right they kind of retrofit this weird mythology into this first person shooter and uh yeah i think i got it wrong because the, the 360 version was a lot better than the ps3 one the ps3 one had like hideous loading times and i'm not sure i even mentioned them in my review um and i definitely should have done because every time you walk from like a subway into a street it would load and you'd have to watch the main character just sitting around it cut cut oh, did he say he didn't like monologue no, he just sort of looked at his guns and sort of looked into space, sat on a chair, and like, he's, there's so much of it spent doing that. And it, it also looked a bit weird on PS3. It didn't look as good on, as it did on 360. But I think I was like, I was just thought it was such an interesting game at the time. I think I just got, I think I just got it slightly wrong. I think I got it wrong by about 15%. That probably should have been like a, 75 76 kind of review yeah um, I, I i enjoyed it i have a weird memory of the darkness because i went on um my first ever american press trip was a 2k thing where uh i went to see um fantastic four on the wii nice. and everyone else on that trip was seeing the darkness right and which at the previous stage you know that's when that game's maybe at its best because it seems very glossy it's got a lot of exciting stuff you know for an hour it's quite intense and and um, flashy and they were all like oh my god you know well they, I don't know they weren't american they were brits who were <laughs> with me uh, but they were um, yeah everyone was talking about how good the darkness was and i'd just seen like the ropiest 4 out of 10 fantastic 4 i think it was fantastic 4 rise of the silver surfer tie in Right. And it was just miserable. So the darkness always seemed very um, exotic to me for that reason. Yeah, um, that sums up the uh, gulf between the Wii and um, other consoles at that time in terms of software, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, one you get to pull people's hearts out with like a demon tentacle, and the other one you're like looking at a blurry thing that might be Michael Chickless <laughs> as, the, as the thing. You're like, is that Chickless? Or is that something or is it on my yeah. rubs? Is that some of the yogurt on our CRT <laughs> rub screen? Just terrible. Oh Good God. Well, yeah. I mean, that's. That. I'm glad that my story about uh, this game yielded a much better anecdote from you. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to one of yours. Um, so you might as well introduce this one because I don't think this is public knowledge until now. I don't. I, it might not, be public knowledge. It's I mean, not that big a deal. It's just a no, no. Story, yeah. So yeah, I I, uh, I reviewed Zelda Skyward Sword. I did it for Endgamer, but I also did it for Edge, where I gave it a ten. I gave one of the fabled Edge tens. Boo. <laughs> um, which. Uh, like it's a weird thing because I'd seen an Edge 10 from afar and I, I talk about it with some reverence because if you know Edge magazine you'll know they haven't given many 10s to the point that when they do it's kind of an event um, and it's treated as such internally as well I remember when they were giving in the run up to giving Mario Galaxy a 10 there was some kind of buzz of excitement you know I remember Tony Mott the editor coming over to Mark Green to basically like sense check it and that's how you could tell something big was coming down the pipes. It's yeah, when, yeah. when they go and talk to other people who've played it to sort of, you know, what do you think? It's almost like it has to pass all these secret tests. Mm. Um, weirdly, like when I reviewed it, uh, I wrote the review. I didn't actually score it. In This is how I remember it anyway. I didn't actually score it because, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I was sort of leaning towards a nine. Um, and... You know, I wrote this review, which I'm really proud of, and it remains one of the things I like, one of my favourite things I've ever written, and you know, more so than the in-game review, I think. And it, like, it does, it does read like a ten, <laughs> so I can sort of understand. I think they wrote rose it with me as as a point, saying, "Oh, do you think, you know, do you think this is actually a ten? Because you seem to really, really like it, and I did really like it, and it ticked a lot of my boxes." Um, 
in hindsight, I don't know if I take it back. I, th- I, like, I think every word of that review is how I feel about the game, and it's true. But I think maybe there's like a universality to an Edge 10, which Skyward Sword doesn't satisfy. Mm. Um, so but, what are the other 10s apart from Mario Galaxy? Is Bayonetta one of them? But Yeah, Bayonetta. Obviously a Rich Stanton one. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if he's ever confirmed that, but you can tell just from reading it that Stanton wrote that. <laughs> Bayonetta, um, Little Big Planet 1. Ooh, okay. I don't think that's quite stood the test of time. Um, I think they gave one to Rock Band. Okay. Um, well, I could see that. Like, Rock, Down, Rock Band was like a culturally significant moment. Yeah. Oh, uh, did uh, a Breath of the Wild? Nice. Which I think they had to after I came. You couldn't give that a nine. Yeah, you've, ru- you've ruined Zelda. You've that ruined would Zelda forever. Be like you know, pitchforks outside future publishing bath. Um, <laughs> you uh, ruined, you've ruined Zelda now for every generation of Edge writer, basically. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 it's uh, the thing I go with sword is it ticks a lot of my personal, but there's there's stuff it does that I really like, and like stuff it doesn't do that I don't care as much about. You know, a lot of people are basically like there's no overworld in that game, and it's just a load of done. It's just a load like a constant puzzle dungeon content, and they hate the motion controls. At that point, I'd done you know, whatever, five, six years on a Wii magazine, hmm. I knew what good and bad motion controls were. I felt really, really confident on that. Um, I know lots of people are like, well, they just don't work, which I just, it just isn't true. Well, with the, especially with the Wii Motion Plus, like if you play yeah, Wii, Wii Sports I, Resort and stuff, like you could really see the difference with that's, that. That's the thing. And, and, and to me, it felt like a bit of a full stop on Wii in that I genuinely felt like I could see all the through lines of stuff they'd been trying out elsewhere how it culminated in this and this was really their like absolute best case as a you know a complete game that tries to sell you on motion controls and i'd been in the motion controls trenches for all that time and felt like yes that should be celebrated lots of people just dismiss it out of hand just because it has motion controls Mm. and they're like oh i hope they re-release it without them and he's like i think you'd find it a, a much blander game because it is really built around those see um I think it's good because you sound to me like you are still pretty certain that that's a 10 out well, of 10. I, maybe this is, uh, this is a, I say this is a score I got wrong. This is a score, I think, if you put all my scores in front of, of a panel of people, this is the one they'd say, that's wrong. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people, a lot of peers have told me it's wrong without knowing that I wrote it. Mm. And they're like, well, what a joke. Hilariously, I wrote it and um, one of my um, predecessors on n64 and ngc wrote me an email saying like that i absolutely you know love that review that that's that's like I, that is a genuinely uh, this sounds like i'm bigging myself up but it was like one of my kind of nintendo writing heroes um reached out to say i love that you know that I, this review was a so you know this this you know you've really really you know kind of uh, nailed this or, or or you've you know you should be really, really proud of this. And then when they actually played the game, they fucking hated it. <laughs> oh, right, okay. And they're like, wow, you completely oversold that. <laughs> wow. So, that um, did that hurt at the time? Uh-huh. Did that hurt at the time? Or were you uh, like, no, no, not really, because it took it in good humor. Like the thing they liked, they said you made your care, they liked the writing. And it was something I was going to mention was uh, part of that legacy thing I was talking about of working on the Nintendo mags, like N64 and NGC were quite famous for like legendary reviews of the big games like Ocarina of Time, Mario 64 those are the reviews that are still talked about by the fans of those mags and I was so desperate to write one of those and I don't think I ever did while on Endgamer but I think that Edge review like is my version of that 
yeah. it's the time where I was like, that is it. That's that's the one. Um, so I'm really proud of it, but, you know, if you hate it, don't, like, firebomb my house or something. It's fine. You uh, know? No, I, th- I think, like, um, I've always really liked the way Edge scores games, and I think they... Um they've kind of that that process has been pretty consistent um over the years and like has yielded a lot of like really good calls so yeah, yeah I, I love th- that it's still anonymous i think that's really really important yeah i completely um, agree i i like it i feel slightly tacky just saying i i wrote that review because there's loads of stuff i've written in edge that i would never put my name to even <laughs> though i'm really proud of it but i just feel like the mystery of the magazine is is kind of important to uphold <laughs> absolutely yeah um so yeah good thank you for that uh, glimpse behind the curtain um, your, your next one i see on the list this is a this is a biggie i'm interested about this one yeah so next one 2008's metal gear solid 4 guns of the patriots um i gave that 92 percent for play magazine at the time and that was very much informed by my score for the darkness because that was the highest score i'd given at the time was 91 percent. and i thought oof i can't give a the fourth Metal Gear game, like, <laughs> less than that. So that was a stupid, arbitrary-like bit of the process. I think that score seemed fine at the time, but I don't think this game has held the, uh, stood the test of time at all. Mm. Um, and there were some reviewers at the time, I think including Edge, actually, who gave it, like, eight. I think Eurogamer gave it an eight, uh, so did GamesTM, and they were correct. Um, it, eight was, like, the right score at the time. Um, but I think we talked about this a, a bit on the last episode, but when you're on a kind of single-format mag... Um, it sometimes feels like you're doing a bit of double duty of like being a cheerleader for the platform yeah. and um, as well as being like a critic. So in this case, I think that kind of uh, played a part. Um, also, this was a really weird review event. I think this is a fairly famous review event, um, but this was the, it was like a Paris event where we went to the, we played in the Grand Hotel in this giant basement and um, <laughs> Kojima was there, Hideo Kojima, the game's um, director. <laughs> and um the creator of the series and he was kind of wandering around watching people play which felt like i was in some kind of weird experiment um <laughs> and it was, was very... saying like smells like a 10 and things like that near <laughs> you to try and influence you it was a bit awkward because there's a, there's a whole bit in that game where you have to inject the character vamp i don't know if people remember this <laughs> with like a, a syringe and loads of us hadn't figured out how to do that um and so we were all stuck on the same section kojima <laughs> was walking around and it felt a bit awkward and also the other thing is the review the review restrictions for that game were just stupid like there was really a long list i don't think you could talk about anything past a certain chapter right um, it's story-wise and it, it basically made it very hard to call out the game for having those terrible long cutscenes. Right. and that was a, a real kind of like i think a real kind of example of why review events don't work it would have been much better to just have the game in our bournemouth office and play it mm. um but yeah it was just um that was a, it was a weirdly intense process um i interviewed kashima at that event too and i wonder if that was swimming through my brain a bit of oh wow like a year before or like a year and a half before i was walking around my hometown listening to hideo kashima productions podcasts um about this game and about his games and now i'm in paris playing the new one before anyone else and the creator of the game is right there and i'm like and i was 19 at the time so oh, i can't help but feel like maybe that was playing a bit of a part um yeah, that's it's weirdly intense, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a weird one though because I feel that you know that's that it's it's almost a game that you don't need to score. Like it is sort of an essential PlayStation experience. Yeah, you do, you did need to play it at the time. That's the thing. Um, so it's not like I kind of it eats away at me that one, but I just think the game's cutscenes are just it, it is an unpermissibly like bad game in terms of how it how it wastes your time um <laughs> it just thinks it's okay to have like hours of it's got 
like probably about three or four hours of cutscenes total in that game and a lot of them are quite bad um <laughs> it's which it was very different experience from playing uh, metal gear solid 3 which is largely considered the best in the series mm. well minus five in terms of gameplay but in terms of story three is considered the best mm. and i think that um four is the opposite of that in a lot of ways it's not it doesn't uh, kind of cut things out where it could cut things out and it's overburdened with lore where it's three stripped it all back um it's got that really weird bit where you walk around amsterdam or wherever it is yeah that section doesn't work at all that's, it. <laughs> yeah. that's the other thing is it's not really a good game to go back to if you pick it up it's it doesn't really it's not gears of war quality as a third person shooter like not even close it's not really an interesting stealth game. There's nothing interesting about the stealth. Or you blend into environments and your invisibility suit takes on the colour of the textures. But I never really saw a practical application of why that was interesting in mm. in terms of stealth gameplay. Whereas I think 5 has got lots of really good stealth systems. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I don't think that holds up. I think people would mainly remember it now for the Shadow Moses section. Um, where you go back to the original uh, Metal Gear Solid setting. But even that's quite... It's just a worse version of playing Metal Gear Solid 1 because you're not doing anything as interesting. All the enemies <laughs> are gone. There's just these little robots around. And then you fight a boss in the same place you fought Sniper Wolf and it's not not as good as it was in Metal Gear Solid 1. So I think that if I change, if I scored this now, I'd probably give it like a 7 out of 10. It's one of those things that you should play if you're a Metal Gear fan. But... Mm. It was it was a real pre-recession game, I think. Like um, in that review event, it was a very pre-recession review event as well. It's like we've got all the money in the universe for like these ridiculous live-action sections at the start of the game, and like yeah. um, these tie-ins with like iPod and Playboy and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I uh, I, don't, I don't think that stands the test of time. I think I was wrong about that one. But um, post-recession, it's all tie-ins with like sausage rolls and greggs and things like that <laughs> well I, I feel like um five is a very post-recession game in terms of how stripped back it is it's kind of like this is just a game there aren't even that many cutscenes, and this apart yeah. from the licensed music there's not really much in the way of like there's frivolous like details 10 minutes of keitha sutherland as yeah. snake that's all we could afford was like a day of keitha sutherland's <laughs> time um so yeah that was uh that was my my second choice um mm. so uh do you want to talk about your next one matthew yeah I, so i i said mary cole we which I gave 88% on on uh, Endgame, uh, and Maricot Wii is, went on to be a massive game. I mean, it's like a... I think it's one of those sort of sold 20 million copies or whatever. You know, this was at the height of the Wii's mad power, but it is a, it is a game in a series I love, but I have no love for this particular game. And I, I literally look back at this score uh, as I do some of the later ones. I just, I just have no idea where it came from, this 88, like... That was, this was a this was a proper like nightmare review event. This was one day with Mario Kart Wii in um, Nintendo. I think it was like Nintendo's like Frankfurt offices or something. They got rid of the treehouse at this point, or uh, no, no, house, never, sorry, never, nothing as, as juicy as that. This was just like their one of their Nintendo of Europe offices, which are, are literally just like marketing offices. Um, we went there, played through the campaign, played a few rounds of. Um, like the various battle things, um, played like, I think it was like set up to mimic the online, like it wasn't live because the game wasn't out. Um, and I never thought it was right as a Mario Kart. Like I just, it, but it felt, this was a very rare case where I felt like that just wasn't a, I don't know, was it that it wasn't a review people wanted to hear or it just wasn't what the spirit of, you know, the spirit of forgiveness 
maybe it maybe deserved forgiving because it was in Endgame. If I'd reviewed it for someone else, I wouldn't have been so forgiving. Like it had all the classic stuff, but like I fundamentally think it's really bloated. As in, it upped it had twelve races on each track, and they're really wide. Like there's just no shape to any of it. It's a really shapeless Mario Kart, I think. Yeah. Um, but people loved it because. I think because of the online and because of the time trial stuff, but like I just I had no joy from the core of it. So it didn't matter like how many different ways there were of playing that core, it fundamentally didn't work for me. I hated the bikes. I thought it just looked crap. Like and and, and I think Nintendo secretly know this because after Mario Kart Wii, Mario Kart got fucking amazing. Yeah. Or you know, there was the Mario Kart three DS the 7, that was amazing. There was the Mario Kart and the Wii, Mario Kart 8, which is just like... The best. Oh, just... Uh, that game is magic. It is a spectacular... It is a, like, pardon the, the, the tacky term, it's like a triple-A Mario Kart. It's everything you want from it. And, and it makes Wii just look like total amateur hour. Um, mm. I, 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 I really hate... Like, we never played it in the office, Mario Kart Wii, which was a sign that it was bust. As a local multiplayer game... It was totally bust because it was so designed for the loads of cars on in in online. Um, well, that one I really regret. I don't think anyone would question that score. Like no one wrote in going like, oh, "You've scored it too low or too high." But in my head, I'm like, in my heart anyway, that game is is not an eighty eight percent. It's like a six. I think you were. I I, I kind of get where you're coming from, and I, I agree with the principle there. But I think you had a you had a tricky thing to do with in that in those days of the Wii where Nintendo weren't really making as many of those kinds of games it was well known for uh, on the GameCube or the um, N64 or the SNES because they were making these more mainstream-friendly versions of existing series. Now, obviously, in the case of Mario Galaxy, it didn't that didn't matter at all. It's a very much it's just it's just a primo 3D Mario game. This very much felt like the hardware had like morphed the software in a in a in a negative way and so you being on kind of a a nintendo magazine at the time trying to be enthusiastic about those decisions must have been quite quite complicated to weigh up i would expect yeah yeah maybe that's maybe that's what you know that it's just like a sort of scar of us going through this process of trying to be a hardcore nintendo magazine at a time when nintendo were not trying to be a hardcore nintendo Hmm. um yeah, I just it, but they still had it in them, you know, like you know they were still doing like Galaxy, which was obviously just like, you know, pure magic and I you know, I loved Mario. I went into that mag with a huge, you know, the last I think the the, the last GameCube game I'd really played to death was Mario Kart Double Dash and um it's also just a case of like having to make a call really quickly, which I'd say a few of the other scores I regret also came out of, like just not having the time. Like a Mario Kart, you don't really, you know, it's like an an album you buy and you listen to for months and months before you know if you actually like it. Yeah, but that's sometimes true with Mario Kart too. I mean, I didn't really dig Double Dash to begin with, but at university, I mean, I must have played hundreds of hours of the battle modes. You know, it just you find the bit that clicked. I think it was also because the battle mode in Wii is so dire. That I took it as a personal insult because I loved Battle Mode and Double Dash so much. I was sort of reviewing it on behalf of like my three friends who I played with at university. Um, but that's maybe not particularly fair when you're writing for an audience of thousands. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, also the Mario Kart Wii was like a phenomenally successful game. Oh, yeah, and, it, and wherever we scored it, you know, we wouldn't have made or braid, broken that game. So <laughs> No, but maybe you kind of like you were tapping into how people felt about it at the time, which was 
wow, I've you know I've bought this console. I've bought like two games for it. I'll never buy more games for it. But boy, it's fun to play at Christmas with the whole family. And like yeah. that was that was very much what the Wii was about um, before people really turned on it. Um, all right, so my next one, uh, Far Cry Two, which I gave seven out of ten for X three sixty magazine in two thousand eight. Um, so this is another of those games that I think has like a real kind of cult status. Um, mm. People kind of revere uh, Clint Hocking, um, the game's creative director, who then went through a long period of um, working at different studios without releasing anything, and has just recently released um, Watch Dogs Legion. Um, but when I asked him about the when I asked him about the notion of um, a Clint Hocking game uh, at E3 last year, he rightly pointed out that like okay, hundreds of people make this game. There is no like Clint Hocking game to it. Like, right. like I have sensibilities that inform the game, but I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a they he were wasn't had cross was he? No, 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 not at all. Okay. He was just I think he was just very keen to point out that like okay, these Ubisoft games are enormous and they require hundreds of people working really hard. And Ubisoft had a load of other designers there who'd worked on the game, so it wasn't like you know they were saying oh it's the Clint Hocking game. It was just a really cool opportunity to speak to him. But anyway, um, I gave it seven out of ten because I, I thought it was quite formless and joyless um <laughs> far cry 2 it was like uh, that was kind of what people liked about it is you you gotta go you gotta go find the jackal and you can do it at your own pace and you can you form these alliances with these different npcs and then there's quite a, a significant late game twist that people really loved about that system um and i think i don't think i quite played it enough at the time when i was reviewing it but also i just I didn't think it was a very fun shooter. Your guns jammed up a lot until you upgraded them. Mm. Things set on fire. Set pieces were quite... You you had malaria. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) That's like famously quite a divisive system, um, but I wasn't a fan of it. And I think it's quite telling that later Far Cry games would lean much more into being basically arcadey shooters that happen to be set in an open world where lots of chaotic things get thrown together. And it's really incoherent. I think the newer ones, I don't really get them at all. Like you just driving a truck and then you'll see like three vehicles pull up guys start fighting then i just throw a tiger come out of nowhere and start attacking a dude and it's like this is like i see what you're going for but this is just too chaotic you know it's um so yeah i thought fire, i don't think far cry 2 was all that apart from the setting and the fire effects they were very nice but i thought it was quite a boring so do you regret tune. this one um yeah i think that i think it probably should have just got an eight out of ten and I uh, because I think if I, I I had I did play it a bit more afterwards and enjoyed it slightly more right okay. um, but uh, it's not I'm not massively off here but I think that Far Cry Two is still a game people talk about twelve years later which makes me think I probably did just miss what was kind of magic about it because mm. I didn't give it enough time when I was reviewing it um, which is you know a factor when doing this so what about your next one Matthew um, I'm gonna jump Red Steel because I feel like I've talked about it endlessly all right. Um, you know uh, that per like I said, uh, I, I, if 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 I think it, uh, while I while I sort of stand by most of the stuff I said in the review, if 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 the score seems off, it's probably because it was those weird circumstances, and I was wrestling with lots of lots of stuff. Um, I wanted to do a, a weird double bill of Ace Attorney: Trials and Tribulations, which is the third one, and Ace Attorney: Investigations: Miles Edgeworth. Um, Both Trials and Tribulations. I gave eighty one even though it is one of my favourite games. <laughs> and Ace Attorney Investigations, Miles Edgeworth, I gave 79. So that's only 2% less. Uh, and I fucking hate that game. <laughs> and I I was just looking at these scores that they just really jumped out at me. How can I have only come to 2% difference, even though 
I really love one and I really dislike the other. And um, I think it's something to do with, like, I think there are certain... Uh, the, the, the downside, maybe, of scores is that if you are religiously adhering to certain stuff and you're trying to put everything in context, there are just a few weirdo games that don't quite fit in anywhere. Yeah. And if you try and play by the other's rules, it kind of messes them up. You know, like, I don't... You know, the, the, I think the logic behind the Ace Attorney only being an 81, which is still a good score, but, you know, it's easily like a 9 out of 10 for me. And I absolutely love the story, but that's all it is. It's just a story. And I thought, well, you know, these are video games, you know, we're meant to be celebrating the kind of interactivity. And I had this, uh, you know, idea of the one thing it was trying to do, it did brilliantly. And I don't know why I didn't reward it for that, um, rather than mark it down for not doing stuff that it, it wasn't even trying to do, really. Yeah. Um so with this, um, how what had Endgamer scored the other two Phoenix Wright games? Do you Basically, remember? all around that, around the eighty mark. Yeah. So uh, see, I, I if I was in their position, like uh, when I played that first Phoenix Wright game on my DS Lite in like two thousand six, I was blown away by it because I'd never played a visual novel. And it was just it was just amazing, but it did seem like critical reception called on it because, like you say, there's not much innovation, and I think that a big thing they did in the first one was it added that case at the, at the end that um, required you to do the different DS functionality. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It didn't work all that well, but it did, it did at least like suggest that some effort had been put into expanding it. Whereas the next two, I think, were just the games on GBA yeah. but made for DS, and maybe that was a factor as well. Yeah, that yeah that could have been a factor. Yeah, I just uh, yeah, I felt like it just wasn't start. It's, it's weird. So I, I reviewed um, a few games like Ace Attorney or Professor Layton, things like that, for Edge magazine over the years, and like weirdly, they were kind of like sixes in Edge, I think, hmm. um, because like their weird criteria, they've they just they've never quite fit a, a, in any kind of criteria, and it's it's taken them to some weird places. I, I just don't now. I would be a lot more comfortable just reviewing it on like the pure joy it bought me. Yeah. Um, where I think for some reason now I felt like I ha- I really had to justify it on on some mad invisible scale. Well, the the hundred percent invisible scale. Um, and the Miles Edgeworth one. I just have no idea what I was thinking because I really dislike that game. I think it, it it's such a low light in the series. Um, so I had no idea why I gave it seventy nine. Mm. Um, I just maybe I just couldn't bring myself to like comprehend that. The thing I once loved was was rubbish, um, but it got good again, so I'm kind of over that now. Uh, that's fine. Did you um, review the fourth uh, Phoenix Wright game, the one whose name I've forgotten? The, Apollo um, Justice. Yeah, yeah, I think they got an eight as well. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like around the, around that mark. That one I'm a little cool on as well. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. I just think when something's so in your wheelhouse that sometimes like bumps up the score or messes with the score in in weird ways that other games don't. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a strange one. Mm. Oh, that's an interesting example for sure. This next one, I'm super of yours. I'm really, really keen to hear about because this does seem like madness to me. Yep. So I reviewed uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum for X360 Magazine in 2009. I gave it, uh, I gave it a seven out of ten. My editor at the time, Simon Miller, talked me into giving it an eight out of ten, and I think he was correct. Um, and most people would agree with Simon on that as well. Um, so. Yeah, uh, I'm a big Batman fan, for sure. Um, yeah. And this was like the ultimate Batman game. So you would think, you know, why wouldn't you love it or whatever? And I think this was one that suffered from the fact that I played it so much in preview 
that I'd started to really see the flaws of it. Um, one thing that was really unusual about Arkham Asylum is they sent out preview code that had the very famous Scarecrow sequences in them. Um, that was, I think, a really good decision because uh, that would never happen now in, t- in the world of kind of like NDAs and people really mm. kind of managing information in games and stuff like that. But it really allowed people to see what Rocksteady were going for um, in terms of like narrative ambition and doing something a bit different. Um, mm. So that was really cool. But I think by the time the game actually came out, I just, I think I played the preview build twice and I was kind of like, ah, I have to do all these sections again. Right. And I really started to zone in on the one thing I really hate about Arkham Asylum, which is the fights with bigger enemies are oh, the, terrible. The, the, the sort of titan brutes. and Yes, and people really forget what, what a large part of the game they constitute. When people remember this game, they think about the setting and like what it's like to kind of glide as Batman, to do the Batman combat, go into his Batcave, and when the plane turns up, all, that, all those really good moments. Yeah. Um, but people don't remember the last third is basically fighting those big enemies over and over again, and there's no real nuance to it. Um which I think is uh, is a shame because the combat is otherwise so good when you're fighting individual enemies. Mm. And I think that um, that's why I think um, the uh, City, the next game in the series, is a lot better. Um, but I think I did score this wrong because um, I, just had to, I just had to remember what games were like in 2009. But a Batman game that came out of nowhere and just blew people away the year after The Dark Knight came out, like people were so ready for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, it was magic. I was really... Yeah, that was like... A- one of the few games here, like you say, just genuinely blew me away in that generation because I, I hadn't played any of it. You know, I was on Nintendo Mag, so, um, you know, just playing as a punter without knowing much about it, it was just a absolute thrill. And you're right, it is locked away in my head as this, like, oh, you know, I'm one of those boring people who be like, oh, Arkham Asylum is actually the best one. <laughs> but then I only remember the first half of it because I replayed it recently. And, uh, yeah, you're right, it's, like... It is shaky. It gets much shakier. I don't think the boss fights are very good in it. No, none of them are. <laughs> none of them are. Whereas I think there's only real one real good boss fight in the series. And that's the Mr. Freeze one in the second game. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think seven out of ten was very harsh when you. Yeah, I and mean, it was just so polished and exciting to see Batman done like yeah. well, you know. And it's a good Batman. Like I like the the version of Batman as well. Yeah, they do his universe really well. It's a really good kind of like, um, sort of an old boss of mine used to use this description of Star Wars. And where the first Star Wars film is so good is that whole universe is out the corner of your eye. And it's not about the universe. It's just there in the background. Whereas I think that that works really well about this game too, is you don't have every single enemy in there. You have like hints of the different enemies in his universe, but you get just to like a handful of them. Mm. Um, and it's enough to make you feel like, oh, I'm in the DC universe. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, all of this, I'm coexisting with all of this. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I was I was wrong about that one. I would definitely call it. Eight, eight might have even been a bit harsh for X360. We weren't edge. Like maybe we should have just give it a nine and got on with it. <laughs> Um, but I think I just, I think I just got into my head. I got into my head a bit too much about the big enemies, and so hey, you know. Um, all right, so the next one's interesting because we both have it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, do you want to introduce this one? Yeah, this is near uh, twenty eleven. Near, I think it was. Hmm? I think it's twenty eleven. Near. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I played on three sixty. I gave it sixty five percent, and my quote on Metacritic is quite easily the best not very good game we've played in a while um which i i think shows the beginning of me wrestling with like trying to review games which are 
maybe like destined to be cult classics. Right, yeah. Um, how, how did you score it? Uh, I gave it 54% for Play Magazine on PS3. Um, and yeah, I don't think I even vaguely tweaked the elements that would go on to define it as a cult classic. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was a bad action game with really annoying cutscenes and loads of boring mini games. Yeah, I still just like I, I liked um, near Automata or Automata, however you pronounce it. Um, but I do wonder if a lot of people reviewed it through the lens of knowing that the first one is a cult classic. Like, mm. not many of these kind of classic seven out of tens, but some people love them games get sequels. But like you don't, you don't often review knowing that you've got that sort of in in its past. Mm. And I, yeah, I find the series quite hard. I do. I, I don't get me wrong. The the the, the near automata, auto tomato, I believe it's called. Yes, uh, that's yeah. it. Automatic it's um, like the much better game. I think you know it's just it's it's a much more satisfying action experience, and it does more obviously interesting things. But um, but. Uh, yeah, this this one like th- th- sort of threw me at the time, and I think it took a couple of years for people to start talking about how much they sort of like liked it, or that it, it sort of went from a guilty pleasure into like, oh, actually, this is quite good to the point where it's now getting like remade next year because it deserves like a second swing. I believe is the case anyway. Yeah, so I I really love Automata. I I, I would give that game a nine out of ten. Were the right. PC version not as bad as it is, and the fact that they never addressed it was pretty bad on pc mm. um it crashes in a bunch of places but i, I really love the world in it and the the sci-fi storytelling and the way it uses uh, replaying the game to tell a continuous narrative and the combat's really good obviously because platinum made it whereas i think this first game just i don't think the first game is anywhere near as good and you're right it's really unusual that a game like this gets a sequel let alone a sequel that sells like millions of copies <laughs> yeah. um now near is, is big business for square it's like comparable to final fantasy in terms of its its success that second that <laughs> second game that's like when does that ever happen like, yeah good for them you know for taking a punt um but i don't um, think the guy was wearing the moon head back then no but then i didn't even know who the guy was like, that's the thing uh, that's something that's changed i think the gen they, they they i think they got a lot savvier in how to sell the second one i mean yes. it's a better game but i think there's i think there are other factors as to why it landed better than the first one in you know so much better a massive factor the they got the i think it's the um final fantasy 12 character designer to design the main characters and it's like well you can tell the character designs are way better like this is a much it's just a much like say just it just immediately grab people's imaginations i think with this like Kind of like loose S and M design to the um, yeah. To the, the first one's just like some barbarian bloke. He's just some big bloke. Yeah, he's just a big, uh, quite a boring looking bloke. <laughs> it just looks like he could be played by Christopher Lambert or something in a film. <laughs> so I didn't get it at all. I just I thought the I thought everything about it was quite bad. Um, this very tedious story with your your kid who is sick and you have to go out and get stuff for the kid and then this uh, this other character turns up with a sword who's wearing skimpy clothing and like i just I, I i got none of it but to be honest i probably didn't give it enough time i think i played it for about 10 hours but everyone was kind of like oh yeah well if you play it for 30 or 40 hours then you start to really get its magic and I, part of the review process of reviewing games is sometimes you don't always get that yeah for you know. sure for um, sure i i knew something i know the quote on metacritic like i knew something was up with this game and i i think i acknowledged that i hadn't quite pinned it down mm. um but uh, you know, yeah, you were quite, yeah, you were quite spot on there. I don't think I got that at all. I think I just 
said, this is a bad action game and I don't like the progression system. It's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think I'm probably more wrong than you on that one. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, do you want to do your next one? Yeah, this was I, this one I'll, I'll, I'll quite quickly, just because I'm quite embarrassed by it. Um, we reviewed WiiWare games at the back of the mag in like very small little throwaway reviews. And we scored them out of five stars, so they wasn't on a, on a um, on a percentage thing. And I gave uh, Bit Trip Runner, which I don't know if you remember, was like part of this sort of retro anthology that they well, it, well, it wasn't. I thought they released them separately, and mm. um, it was like this sort of um, very old school kind of um, sort of eight bit looking kind of uh, auto runner where it was like auto failure if you didn't like jump over it. I didn't really. I don't. Th- quite think it's a rhythm game um but it's it's kind of got that level of very tight kind of choreography to the platforming hmm. um i gave it one star i i just i hated it i had a really rough time with it it made me really really cross and i just i just sort of went for it in a way that it, it was just dumb it was just dumb and stupid it isn't a one star game it's completely wrong because i think like games tn gave it like nine or something because i remember talking i'm pretty sure it was like ash ash day i was talking to an event about about this and oh, he was like, genuinely game, yeah. disappointed in me <laughs> <laughs> like i think i actually lost a lot of respect when i was like oh yeah i get like I, I, it wasn't like a ha 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 i'm gonna kick this game's face off but i was just so cross and actually looking back at you were like it's I am I it's it's like the one thing I'm like embarrassed about. I've never re- I've never done it again to the best of my knowledge. Where I you know I thought you know what I'll, I can't you know you can't just do that kind of bullshit. You can't just throw something in the bin and completely dismiss it. Cause it's basically tantamount to an angry YouTube comment. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like it's 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 verging on like these stupid lazy developers, and I hate that. I hate people who are like that. Um, you yeah. know, not all happy clappy everything. You know, oh let's look for the best in everything, but. I just that's one I feel like I didn't give it a fair shake and like I, I, I haven't done that again since because you know it's just am, it's amateur hour to do that yeah I think the language of uh, games criticism has changed enough now that like that sort of take is frowned upon for sure and uh, this came up a bit on Twitter recently I think um but um yeah I, I it definitely seems low for what I remember to be a fairly well-liked <laughs> series um, <laughs> But uh, I, I did the same thing. I think, like, if you looked at any of my old play reviews where I gave, I think I gave, like, the Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix game, like, 30-something percent, because it was kind of just a Wii game that had been retrofit onto PS3, um, but you used the analog sticks instead of the Wiimote to cast spells, which <laughs> just did not work. Um, and I think I was very cruel to that game um, and uh, a few others like it. But sometimes a game can just get you on a bad day as well. Like, that does happen. Yeah, and also, like... I, I feel I feel for the devs, but there are still publishers who make the decisions behind those games, and ultimately, as part of your job is to call that out. Like it's um, it is good to be respectful of the fact that there is no game made where people were lazy. It just it does not happen. Um, but at the same time, like I don't know, you have to call out bad decisions when you see them still, um, because even oh, if there, yeah, for yeah. sure. But that that was this wasn't that. This was <laughs> this was just me being an asshole. So yeah, okay, all right. Uh, next one. Uh, for me is Assassin's Creed in 2007 I gave that 58% um, for Play magazine um, and I think that was too high (laughs) (laughs) so I'm I'm, I'm up and down on the Assassin's Creed series I think that I think it's legacy is both good and bad Um, I think that for a long time 
games were kind of flattened out a bit in terms of difficulty for a while and i kind of blame assassin's creed for that um until like the from software games got big and difficulty became like a bit more of a thing people were into Mm. um and i think assassin's creed was a bad game like the first one was definitely bad um (laughs) it was not it was a it was a terrible action game very very simple um sort of counter-attack based action game with very few combat options Mm. um and when i i remember like when i interviewed a developer about assassin's creed unity in 2014 they said oh we want to get back to the first assassin's creed game uh feeling of like choose to do this assassination however you want and i was there thinking that wasn't the first game the first game was chase after a dude and then knife him after (laughs) doing after doing a couple of bad mini games where you eavesdrop on people in this oh structurally it was a Bismal. Yeah, it was bad. In this very pretty open world, like very impressive technically at the time, open world. Um and I was very I was very down on it. And this score I fiddled with a lot. I think like a lot of people at Imagine felt the same way about Assassin's Creed and mm. scored it low. And uh, Games GM gave it four out of ten. Um and I think that was correct because yeah. I honestly think that these were like I'm not giving myself too much credit here, but like pretty much all of the Imagine outlets were in the lowest bracket of that first game um on Metacritic. Right. And I don't I think if people hadn't called Ubisoft out for those the problems in those games, I don't think that second one would have been as good. And this is where I think that actually like giving low review scores is ultimately good for games yeah. generally. I think that all the things that we called out were fixed in the second one, had more variety, a much better structure, a really good main character, a really good story mode, mm. all this stuff. And I all that stuff was were things that we were calling out for the lack of them in, in the review. So I I think I think we were spot on to like yeah, hammer I, Assassin's I, Creed. Yeah, I th- I th- I, th- I think so too. I remember playing that because I remember playing it for a bit, hating it and giving up on it. And then when two came out and everyone started reviewing it, saying this is amazing, I thought, wow, I better finish one so I can enjoy the story of two better. And I can I, like literally howling with despair <laughs> at Assassin's Creed one trying to finish it because it was so monotonous and the um. Like just that the limited spread of what you could do in that game, it looked amazing, and it was probably of that generation. You know, one of the first big next gen looking things. Definitely, really. I know, and I think a lot of people reviewed it as such because they were just like, "Oh wow, I've never seen a console game do look like this before." But blimey, it was just what a total misery that game was. Yeah, it was nothing. I don't think there was anything fun about it at all. The platforming, the combat, it's all pretty much automated. None of it was fun. Yeah. Um so yeah, that was that was quite a big one. I, I think I think I like I went down at one point to like 46%, something like that. And then I <laughs> I think I talked myself into like, oh no, maybe a bit higher. I mean, it is technically impressive and yeah. again, it's that continuity of like, well, we've given some right shit like 50% and so maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Right. Some obvious artistry has gone into making this parts of this game really good. It's just it doesn't work overall. Um, so quite complicated, but uh, yeah. Um, so what are you, what's your next one, Matthew? Uh, this one's not not massively spicy, but it was Resident Evil Revelations, uh, which I gave a ninety percent. Um, and in my notes here, I've written a bit of a 3DS drought made me too thirsty. <laughs> those are those are rough early days. Of they the were. DS, I mean, DS. that was. Pretty more so than other things. And the 3DS launch lineup was pretty bad. And I liked the hardware a lot. You know, I, I was a big fan of the DS. I thought the 3DS, you know, could do some great stuff. And the good games did come. And this was like the first big... It was like a graphical showcase. And I don't know why graphics became such a 
sort of bugbear, you know, because we were on Wii and we were always like the laughing stock of, you know, the office because our games, just, you know, even the good looking ones were, you know, it was it was always a triumph of art design over like technical heft. Um, and this was like a, a really shy, and it looks amazing. And it was like a, what, compared to everything else in 3DS, it was like impossible to comprehend, like, just how how it was working, how they were doing it. It looked great. Uh, it looked and sounded great. I yeah, and it was a you know, and it felt like a big system seller. But it's in hindsight, it's it's just a, I think still evidence of a series that was still figuring out what its next move was. It was still living in that weird shadow of Resident Evil Four, which hung over it for so long. You know, still a little bit now, although it's largely out of it. Um, I don't know. Resi Remake Two feels like a version of Resident Evil Four to me. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it felt like it. Uh, I feel like they were trying to like uh, one up Resi Four for a few games, and it just wasn't the right way to go. Mm. Like they were just becoming more and more actiony and and losing track. And this this had a bit, you know, the kind of haunted ship. It was a bit more like sort of trad Resi One. Um, but the actual, like, I think fundamentally, like, the shooting in it just—it's just does It feels like non-existent. It just feels like you're, the number that pops out of things when you shoot them is that's the thing that's hitting them. There's no sense of a bullet, and you're shooting these very vague meat monsters, which compared to like, you know, the exciting like headshots of yeah, Resi Four or whatnot, or what you're trying to get to, it's just not a very satisfying feeling game. And you can't say that about a lot of the cap, you know. Whatever their failings, Capcom well, Resident Evil is often often feels quite nice. The newer action ones, yeah. Um, so that was just like a bit of probably feeling a bit of pressure from where everything else was, and the need to kind of the the need for us to have something to gloat about kind of probably overinflated that one. It's not dire, but it's it's not a ninety. Yeah, I, I think I, I really remember what the early days of the 3DS were like. It was just a real bleak there's nothing to play on this kind of system and then within about within a i think even like a year nintendo got mario 3d land and mario kart onto the market and it's like okay this system is amazing yeah (laughs) you just needed the right games for it um and yeah that was like a real early big third person game so i get it but you can definitely tell in the responses to the game when it revealed a release on other formats later on that it was definitely an also round resi game. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, no one's favourite. Right, my last one then is uh, Lego Batman, the original Lego Batman. Oh, um, probably who hates Lego Batman. <laughs> probably best known as the game that is used to crack the Wii's software to, for piracy. Um, <laughs> that's what that was Lego Batman, wasn't it? I think that's the I game. I don't know. I mean, I didn't do it, but I know that you can. I think there's some kind of exploit you can use in the original box copy to crack the Wii software. Prize it open. <laughs> I don't really understand the ins like and outs. Joker virus. <laughs> um, I remember reviewing it and thinking. Um, so I, I don't think this is an all-time classic or anything, but I gave it two out of five for 360 magazine, which is different from X360 magazine, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and um, that was quite harsh. I mean, it was there was nothing really, like you say, remotely offensive about it. I think it's just that I think the other Lego game's strength was being based on like films and TV shows meant that you had really good touchstones for like the cutscenes and stuff. Whereas yeah. this, this was based, this was like an original Batman thing. And I thought it was just really boring. Um, and I just, I think I just turned on the Lego games quite quickly um, and then came back around to them when they started getting really good again. Um, with yeah. like, um, I, I quite like this one. It had the, I think it had the Danny Elfman soundtrack, mm. which was like, I, I was a big Danny Elfman sort of nerd. So that was, 
The second one's loads better, though. The um, yeah, second definitely. one's got the open that's world. Yeah, the one that they had Superman as well, right? Yes, and you took off, and then the John Williams Superman oh, thing. Oh, that's so good. Which is one of the best moments, I think, in any game that no one talks <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, it is weird. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it's weird how that is one of the best moments <laughs> in any game. <laughs> well, but do you know what I mean, though? Like, it was just like, I can't believe this is in a Lego game. That I, I feel like this is a Superman experience I've been waiting for in games It is forever. the best Superman game by, yeah. like... Like a million miles. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, sh- a short one there, but um, that takes us on to your final one, Matthew. Yeah, this was just like this Disney epic, Mickey. <laughs> I gave it eighty six. Uh, was it good? <laughs> no. <laughs> like everyone was so like high on Disney epic, Mickey, which sounds mad, but you've got to believe me. This was this was the case. I remember just because it was the third party game where like. They were really pulling out all the stops. You know, Disney were throwing huge amounts of money at it. Um, you know, Warren Spector was making it. Um, everything, it just felt like, wow, this, you know, the guy who made Deus Ex has come and he's making a Wii exclusive about Mickey Mouse. Like, there's this, I, I can only half remember the thing, so I, I've probably butchered this, but like, they had to get the right. There were certain like rights to Mickey Mouse had been given to someone else. Was it the Oswald the Rabbit thing there to get the rights? Well, for? It was, maybe it was Oswald the Rabbit. They had to literally trade like a, a real human being, like sports presenter on one of their Disney related networks. <laughs> they had to trade like an actual man to get the rights <laughs> to this cartoon rabbit. Right, okay. Like imagine feeling like, wow, that rabbit is more valuable to <laughs> Disney than me. A human being. Uh, I'm what a slam. Uh, uh, if, if only I could remember the details, but that's definitely true because that was their big thing. They made this big, big talk when we went to see it. And we all bizarrely they introduced, they showed us the game in a special modified double decker bus. This like Disney Epic Mickey bus. Okay. Um, this is such a like late noughties games media yeah, events it was just, nonsense and more respect was brilliant at talking about the game like he was, was he driving really, the bus? like he's super into disney history and stuff i just thought it was uh, uh well obviously not i gave 86 but like it that was just me buying into the hype but and it's embarrassing to say that because you're like what hype it's disney <laughs> epic mickey well no, i i remember this the, the hype though like what people probably don't recall about this game is that I think whenever they revealed it in Game Informer or something, it was described as like Disney via Bioshock, and the concept art looked oh, amazing. So that was it. Yeah, the yeah. Because con- it had this big thing where you had a paintbrush that could paint in objects, and he had like an eraser brush that could destroy objects, mm. and it was this thing of like power of like creation and destruction. Yeah, what kind of what kind of Mickey are you going to be? You're gonna classic Disney everything? stuff. You're gonna melt like Goofy, <laughs> you know, and you're like, "Wow, cool!" You know, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounded so exciting, and yeah. there was some interesting there was some interesting stuff with the brushes, but like the fundamentally, the platforming was just horrible, and it basically boiled down to like, "There's a door in your way, erase the door, or paint in some blocks to jump over the door." It was just really basic stuff. Um, it had these 2D levels which paid sort of homage to um, classic Disney cartoons, which we were all like, wow, this is so cool. But I don't really like classic Disney cartoons, so I don't know why I thought that was cool. It's like most of them star kind of racist crows. <laughs> um, so it was like jumping around with lots of racist crows. Uh, not a very satisfying platformer, just bought into the epic Mickey hype and... Um, 
good god, 86. And then the sequel came out and like everyone drubbed it with like four out of 10s. I think it was just really obvious it was just a bad third person platformer yeah, when it came out. I don't know what happened there. I should have known better. Like I've really, I'm so down on other third person, other platforms, third person platformers. Um, 3D platformers. You know, I'm so down on Crash and Spyro, and somehow this terrible example of the genre sort of snuck past me, and I gave it an 86 more than Phoenix Wright Draws of Tribulations, a game I love. <laughs> I, th- I think, like you just uh, again, though you you are people are going to be divorced in the context of like the we had no games. It yeah, just but, it needed like, games. It should have known better. I really like Man Alive. <laughs> It's like, it's one of those, if you'd go back in time and assassinate Hitler, you know, I would go back in time and punch myself in the face before I gave Disney Epic Mickey 86%. Yeah. I think even it's like Disney cartoon thing have been done in, I think, I think Disney, Disney's Epic Adventure, Mickey's Epic Adventure or something on the um, PlayStation did something similar, like, uh, mm. yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it, it happens, you know, like, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I think a lot of these high scores just happen when you're on a platform that's deprived of good games and then yeah. suddenly a game that's not terrible comes in like that was where i found i was making like my worst decisions when i was on play <laughs> um <laughs> i made a terrible mistake <laughs> <laughs> all right then well those were those were our games those are the ones i could think of like after this i think i i felt like i was pretty good at scoring games <laughs> later on in my games media career none of my pc gamer scores really stand out as like oh that was a terrible error like i gave metal gear solid 5 like 93 percent, which i think people would say is a bit generous because they really hate the ending of that game and the fact that it just kind oh. of ends but i disagree yeah and really love that game i, so. I gave it a 10 in OXM. nice well it's just i don't even agree about the ending i think it's got an ending and i, I like the ending but most and people even don't. if you don't like the ending it's like 40 hours of the best technical stealth game kojima ever made yeah so yeah, mm. yeah exactly and the take i will not I will not tolerate is the take that says Ground Zeroes is better, and I'm like, oh, no, that's just like if oh, I just can't. Be doing I didn't that. even know that was a take. I can't even comprehend someone thinking that. Yeah, I know. It's like, well, the, the game is the exact same thing, except there are loads of different bases you can go to and do stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah, to close out then, Matthew, um, I, we, we've kind of addressed this with you, I guess, as Bitrip Runner. But I was curious to know what the lowest score you ever gave to a game was, and um, what about percentage wise an end gamer? Could you remember this? Um, so I, I found. Pick it t- t- tricky to pick out. There was there was a game. I don't know if this counts because it was a bit of a joke score, but it wasn't. There was a Japanese import game uh, I reviewed called Doki Doki Majo Shinpan, and I don't know what. Well, I have a vague memory of why we reviewed it because it was slightly controversial. But it was about you went to a you were a witch finder, a witch hunter at a school. And one of these teenage girls was a witch, and the only way a witch's birthmark would appear was if you got their pulse racing. So you had to sort of rub their legs and stuff to get them to get them excited um, to reveal them as a witch. And it was just grim, and we probably shouldn't have reviewed it, but it seemed funny at the time. And it, instead of a score, it just got no. Uh, <laughs> With a percentage sign. They had to modify the score box to fit it, and it just said no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, probably like technically like i guess the lowest score i've ever given <laughs> no. like i wouldn't even countenance giving it one percent it was just 
just ta- it was I knew it was just boring and tacky and salacious and unpleasant. So uh, yes, what what about you? <laughs> well, um, I was thinking about it. I think in terms of like how numbers work, um, Lord of the Rings Conquest, which I gave one out of five for <laughs> three sixty magazine. Uh, again, different from X three sixty magazine. That was um, that was the lowest score, and I think that. I think I probably should have given that a two. Like it was, but it was terrible. It was. Um, people don't really remember this, but the makers of Star Wars Battlefront made a Battlefront game with Lord of the Rings. It came out. They, you know, not long after Battlefront Two did a very beloved game in retrospect, but it was absolutely terrible. Um, it just uh, it was a really budget translation of the Lord of the Rings universe. Even though on paper I thought that is such a good idea for a game. Like, you've got all these hero characters, you've got the different sides, you've got the different settings. Like, what a great idea. But they just, it was just really unbalanced. Like, all the wizard characters were really overpowered, and they'd do these AoE attacks that would knock you over if you were a melee fighter. And it just, it was in such poor shape when it released. It's probably one of the worst games EA's ever released. Um, I, yeah, this this one passed by completely. Yeah, 2008, I think it came out. Um but yeah, I, I I gave that one out of five, and I think that probably was a review where I gave it an unprofessional kicking. Even though I'm sure that like a pandemic didn't make it bad on purpose, I bet it was a matter of time and resource, and <laughs> you know, like it not getting the same investment that Star Wars did. Um, but yeah, it was just a shame because I was quite quite big on pandemics games. I enjoyed the Mercenary series, and I thought the Battlefront games are really good. Mm. And then I quite enjoyed the Saboteur that came out in 2009, the last oh. game. Um, but yeah, I am. Um, I think that uh, yeah, that was that was the lowest. Uh, I was just a devastated Lord of the Rings character, and now I'm very over Lord of the Rings. So I don't ca- I don't care what happens to yeah. it now. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather like I'm, I, the things I'm proud of are where I pinned down why I really loved something, which I think is harder to do. I think it's um, you know quite hard to articulate why something works and why it works for you and why it might work for other people. And those are the reviews I admire. You know, I've, I've rather than like. The, the kind of lethal drubbing, I think. Mm, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's uh, and that's certainly the, the the way most people review now. I find myself getting like a lot less frustrated by reviews now than I did like maybe uh, fifteen years I ago. I think everyone's spent everyone's you know even the jokes about you know the the people who used to be held as like bad reviewers are no longer really that bad. It's 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 all fine. Yeah, absolutely. All right then. Well, that um, takes us out of this episode. Then, Matthew, what a fun discussion that was. Yeah, um, it was good. Yeah, so full of regrets. Yeah, it was good. Good to kind of like air those out, so I can move on with my life uh, yeah. psychologically. Hopefully, you don't regret listening to this podcast. Uh, um, so, if you enjoyed this uh, episode, then uh, I don't know. You, I guess you can subscribe um, on the different services where you are listening. Um, we're releasing them weekly on Fridays is the intent. Um, if that's gone wrong by the time you're listening to this, and I'll uh, you know I'll likely edit this out. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're at Backpage Pod on Twitter. If you want to tweet us or follow us, we'll tweet when new episodes are released. Um, I'm also Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. I work for TechRadar.com in my um, my uh, day job. Uh, Matthew, you're Mr. Basil Pesto. Um, Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. Mm-hmm. So follow Matthew and me if you want to. Uh, see some uh, vague witticisms on a daily basis <laughs> um, you can also uh, email us your thoughts at backpagegames at gmail.com if you send us uh, correspondence we'll probably read them out um, but we're not banking on it because we're kind of soft launching this podcast <laughs> uh, without a marketing campaign um, but yeah please join us for our next episode where we're going to talk about James Bond um, hooray yeah see you later bye bye <laughs>